Hello, welcome to Claret and Blue. My name's Dan Rowlands and I'm joined by three special guests this afternoon. Uh, regular faces, John Townley and Matt Kendrick and a returning face to the show, Rob Warner. Uh, how are we doing, everyone? John, I'll start with you. Yeah, doing well, thanks, Dan. It'd be nice to touch on what has been a remarkable year for Aston Villa and, yeah, good to... Uh, well, we haven't ended it just yet. Two more games left, but Brentford, the last game, was fantastic as well. So, doing very well. Thank you, Dom. Yeah, three more games in uh, in 2023 now with uh, Sheffield United, Man United and Burnley. Of course. So we're yeah. going to do a, a 2023 review. But yes, there is a, a couple of games to go. But let's face it, if we don't do it now, we're not going to do it at all with the way the schedule has fallen. Uh, this is our weekly Monday show. Obviously, next Monday is Christmas Day and it's my one day off of the year, basically. You pesky Matt Kendrick on the end. Uh, so this is our last opportunity to do you a don't. show like this. Uh, Matt, how are you? All right. Um, Rob was just remarking before we came on air that it's the first time we, we, we've done one of these podcasts together. By complete mm. coincidence, I managed to find this up me. Um, oh, look at that. Up my mum and dad's loft. Um, mum and dad are clearing out some of the lofts. So uh, to, to the younger ones on this call, that's a reference to right said Fred, which also mm. included a number of bald men. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. I'm not, yeah. You're not having it, though, Rob, unless you desperately want it. I'm all right, thanks. They're not only bald men, they're bald men of questionable political persuasion. So, well, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going deep into their talking. <laughs> similarities begin and end. Uh, Rob, how are you? You obviously usually come on to talk about uh, kits, but you know about football as well, and that's what we're here to I do. Tried today, to, to yeah. I'm all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm, uh, I still feel a bit weird after the match yesterday. It was, uh, although we won, I came away from it just feeling really strange about it all, and I don't know why it wasn't kind of the euphoric feeling I normally get after a victory. I think it was, yeah, I think with with Kamara getting sent off, it, it felt almost like a, a Pyrrhic victory in some ways. But, uh, mm. yeah, it was, a, it was a funny one. But, hey, we won. So here we are still on course to uh, win the World Cup or whatever it is that we're going <laughs> to do. Precisely, yes. So, as I said, we're here to talk about 2023. Something in the comments. People are, well, we're doing this live, by the way. So, I think we've got 10 or 11 categories we're going to talk through. You can get involved in the comments and I'll share some of the answers on screen as well. Um, somebody says split screen, young with hair, and then old with hairless. So, I'll put this probably in order of like who's got the most hair to the least. So, I'll just not be at the start, which I'll John, me, and then it's questionable between you two of who's got the most hair. Um, but we're going to get Give straight it into it. No, no, time. no, give it time, I'll be on the other it's end It's like a well. time-lapse of when a child grows cress in an eggshell. <laughs> 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 Let's get straight into it. So, we're going to talk about 2023 as a calendar year. Obviously, we do these at the end of the season, where we do a season review. Uh, this is a calendar year review. Obviously, we all know how well Villa have done in 2023. Uh, 81 points in the Premier League, 25 Premier League wins. Got ourselves into Europe, top of a group in Europe. Uh, it's been a pretty, pretty good year. Our first category is Player of the Year. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you first. We've all uh, put nominations forward for this, so you can take yours away. Who is your Aston Villa Player of 2023? Just as a um, a disclaimer, I think there might be a bit of recency, recency bias that creeps in um, for all of this because I can't remember much beyond the last kind of week, let alone the, the whole year. Um, but I've gone for gone for Super John McGinn or um, Brave Arse, as if will now forever, forevermore be known. Um, you know, we've, we've eulogised about him at, at length, haven't we? And, and rightly so, because we, we thought he was a shadow of, him, of his former self at times under Gerard, but now he's gone and cranked it up to another level. And as Villa take a next step and the next step and the next step, he's the one who epitomises that. Um, mm. Lovely fella, 
glad that we've got him. Um, I was listening to the podcast the other day when you were talking about the, the McGinn, the making of McGinn documentary, which uh, is recommended viewing. Both his brothers talking about kind of what a cheeky young scamp he was and some good anecdotes from Neil Lennon and stuff. And I think it's, I'm, I like I like footballers to not only impress me with their football skills and their attitude, but to be good human beings as well. Uh, mm. I think we've really fallen lucky um, having having Super John McGinn as our skipper. So he's my uh, there was a, there were a lot of a lot of kind of alternative choices, which I'm sure we'll go through soon. But he was my, he was my kind of unanimous player player of 2023. Yeah, my biggest takeaway so far is that you listen to the podcast when you're not on it. Is that true? I can't. I must have been. Um, you know, I must have been. I don't know, queuing for something or whatever, or wondering around co-op or something like that. But uh, yeah, it won't happen again. I promise. Yeah, struggling to get to sleep, no doubt. Uh, Rob, who's your pick for Player of the Year? Douglas Louise for me. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, again, there could be a little bit of recency bias involved in it, but perhaps not. I think since Emery's come in, he's finally found a role for Dougie where previously he was either sitting far too deep or playing too far forward it was it was difficult to to try and figure out exactly what to do with him and I think the the role that Emery's given him has enabled him to flourish and one of the things that I tend to think about when I'm thinking about how good Villa are at the moment is if we put all of our players on the transfer list who would you know which other clubs would come in to try and sign them and I think if Dougie was up for grabs I don't think there's many teams in Europe wouldn't want to have a conversation with him um, you know, and, and that speaks volume, not just for the ability that he's got, but the consistency that he's showing now, because I think Villa as a club historically, or certainly over the last 15, 20 years, we've had good players, but that have shown it in flashes and the very best players show it again and again and again and again. And he, that's what he's all about. Yeah, I totally agree. I think my my choice probably would have been Douglas Louise, but for context, I got all of you to send me your players so we didn't have too many picks. So I picked somebody different for the sake of difference. Uh, I went with Emi Martinez as mine. Maybe not his best uh, year ever for Aston Villa, but so pivotal, so vital in moments that keeps us in games where he'll make a, a genuinely world class save. And also, voted the best goalkeeper in the world this year. So, how could he not be one of Villa's best players? Um, John, who did you go for? I went with the same as Rob. Douglas Louise for me as well. Just a player who, he's come on leaps and bounds, but I think we all knew that there was a player there for many years. But as Rob said, it was about getting the best out of him. Where, you know, does he fit in the team specifically and how can he contribute? And I think it's seven goal contributions this season already, which is something that he would have been posting across the whole campaign potentially and would be viewing that as a good season in previous campaigns. So mm. yeah, a fantastic player back in the Brazil team and he is a hundred million pound player now because that is the price of Villa would put on his head or more. I don't know, considering the prices that Chelsea are paying for Caicedo and Enzo and other players as well. So he's right at the top of the market in terms of top Premier League midfielders and yeah, he's coming up with key moments now as well. You know, you look back to, um, for example, the Tottenham game, key moment there. Villa, you know, shouldn't have been um, in that game at halftime. And then he produces an excellent cross for Pau Torres. There was other moments this season as well where he's just come up clutch and um, similarly to Leon Bailey in that sense. And yeah, I think he's, uh, was it like five or six goals in a row that he scored at home? from last season as well that broke a record too so yeah fantastic player and I mean there are a lot of key players to how Emery wants to play but I feel like if you take Douglas Louise out there's a very noticeable difference 
Yeah. Um, we saw that against Brentford as well. I know we dominated the game for large spells, but it's having that moment of incisive quality. And um, yeah, what is he, 25 maybe now? Uh, he's got many years ahead and obviously on a new contract too. So he's here to stay. And I don't doubt they'll be interested in the summer, but it's certainly a player that Villa can't you know, be without. And if there was the case that Arsenal come in again, as I say, Villa are putting a huge fee on his head. So uh, yeah, he's definitely my player of the year. Yeah, let's read some of these comments then. AVFC Stato says, got to be Dougie for me. US Crits, also Dougie. Liam Ritchie, also Dougie. Uh, walking somewhere, says McGinn. Um, Marine Boy, Marine Boy. First McGinn, second McGinn, third McGinn. That's my top three. Uh, Phil Johnson says, my personal player of the year is Ollie Watkins. He's been unbelievable this year. Yeah, he would have been in the conversation, I think, at least. Uh, David says, Dougie with McGinn at close second. Uh, I like this one from Simon. Uh, McGinn gives us bite, but Louise makes us purr. It's a nice nice sentiment. Every lion needs both, doesn't it? Exactly, Rob. Exactly. Uh, Our next category, which is in the wrong order, is goal of the year. Now, loads of contenders for this one. Villa scoring goals for fun. Uh, Quality goals at that as well. I'll do this in reverse order. John, I'll let you go. Yeah, I went through the fixtures and I tried to work out how many goals or what, you know, who scored them, what were the goals like, but I couldn't quite remember all of them. But the one that sticks in my head most was John Duran's goal against Crystal Palace. And I don't like voting for like best goals when it kind of comes in a moment. I don't think it should necessarily be voted on that. It should be voted on like the technical quality and stuff. But if you do want to make the argument as well, Villa obviously lose their uh, winning record at home, don't they? And they're unbeaten record probably as well because we were obviously losing at the time. 86th minute, I think it was, 87th minute and to come off the bench and for a player like Duran to do that as well. He's only 19 still. Um, yeah, just a fantastic goal. He did something similar against Man City at the Etihad and smacked the bar and the ball was in the air for about 20 seconds before it came back down. So he's clearly got a lot of quality and I think that goal kind of epitomised everything that I hope that he can become more consistently moving forward. Um, but yeah, for me, that was a tremendous goal, really good finish. Yeah, I also went with Duran's goal. Let's try to avoid too many clashes, but just a moment of individual brilliance. And again, you could have picked loads of others. And I, I know what Matt has picked, and I was very tempted to go the same as well. But like you, know, you said, it's the catalyst to go to win the game, to keep uh, the run going uh, or start the run whenever it was. No, keep it going, of course. Uh, it was the second Palace game, wasn't it? Um, yeah, just a, a real, real nice moment. Uh, Matt, is yours the one I think it is? You know, it's contested, yeah. Um, I know, but the last time we did this, you changed your mind <laughs> on air, didn't you? Do you remember? You kept going, oh, I can't remember what I said. I can't remember what I said. I'm not that, I'm not that forgetful, although I have gone for a goal that happened about 10 days ago or whatever it was. So, um, <laughs> in the last the last couple of weeks, it was uh, obviously McGinn's winner against Arsenal. Um, mm. Again, it just summed up Emery Ball, didn't it? The, the, the patient build-up. You know, we weren't at our free-flowing best against Arsenal as we were a couple of days previously against Manchester City. But that moment was was enough to win the game. And it's been an education for us, hasn't it? To to learn learn to be patient, patient as a, as a fan base. And I know we're going to go to most improved player um, throughout, you know, during this during this podcast. But I think, I think the Villa Park crowd has become improved in terms of being able to understand and to and to let let the players breathe, I suppose, and to to let them to to trust Emery and to trust the players. Um, and that goal was just was just magnificent, magnificent. I mean, I don't know. I, I moaned, didn't I, after the game that the, the 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 highlights hadn't taken it back far enough, but we'd only seen the, the the kind of the assist and the pre-assist. But if you do rewind that goal, you can see 
just the way that Villa play, just you know, if you had to give somebody a snapshot snapshot of what Aston Villa are, two thousand and twenty three, two thousand and twenty four, you play that goal, and I just thought it was a, a brilliant team goal, finished yeah. expertly by my by my man. Yeah, I was so tempted to go with that because that is, you know, if you had a, uh, a dictionary with Unai Emery's play style in or whatever, that would be a dictionary definition wouldn't it, of what, what he wants to do. That goal was like textbook. Um, I've got distracted by the comments of Luke asking me why I'm so red. I've done the same thing I did the other day. I had a shower not long ago and I get all hot and flustered and they've got the big lights on there, so I look like a big red fat tomato. Um yeah, uh, Arsenal are a very good goal. Duran's goal also, and most most of the comments are those two. Uh, if I had to pick a notable mention before I'd come to you, Rob, uh, I really like Watkins's goal against Bournemouth. Uh, the header, the, the technique involved to do that, I thought was a world class header. Um, Rob, what's the the pick you've gone with there? Completely left of field. I've gone for Bertrand Traore away at Leicester. Is that this year? Blimey! Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I think because it. It was a it was a brilliant goal. The the individual technique of it. It was the sort of goal from a Villa perspective that only Triore would score. It seemed to take about a minute to go in, almost as long as the one that he p rolled past the Albion goalkeeper <laughs> a couple of years ago. And he's he's kind of it encapsulated so much of of where we were heading to. If if we lose that game, it's the sort of game that we always lose against a team that's rubbish and they're getting relegated and we're flying and we're getting towards the end of the game and somebody who previously would have been one of our best players is now a bit part player and he's come off the bench and we've won the ball back high up the field, showed a lot of persistence and then just that absolute moment of clarity from Traore to to bend it over the goalkeeper from there. And I think for me that was a real moment where I started to believe that things really had changed. That Although we were doing really well, I think years of being a Villa supporter had conditioned me into thinking, well, the wheels will fall off at some point. And Leicester would typically be that point. And it just wasn't. And Traore's just scored an absolute world. I watched it back on YouTube um, before sending you my answers just to make sure I hadn't rose-tinted glasses it. And I, I hadn't. It was actually better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of that the old um, the Dean Saunders volley that yeah when I was in the whole end it seemed like it was scored from a hundred yards but you watch it back <laughs> you watch it yeah. back now and you think, well, was he actually outside the box and was the goalkeeper yeah. only four foot three but um, yeah. no I think I, I think it was four foot three but uh, yeah same thing with that goal it was I remembered it from the whole ten that he was almost on the halfway line and he was right on the touch line he was basically standing in front of Ron Atkinson when he hit it. And then I saw the video and was like, oh, I mean, it was quite good, but I quite couldn't have done it. It was good, but it wasn't Traore good. No, no. What could uh, be? A couple of shouts in the comments for not the best goal ever, but Leon Bailey's goal against Man City for the, the significance and being a winning goal against them. Uh, McGinn versus Arsenal has been suggested, as we've said. McGinn versus Chelsea? Was a was a really nice finish as well. Yep. Again, kind of forgetting about the, the, some of these uh, Coutinho versus Arsenal, which yeah, also this year Philip Coutinho playing for Aston Villa, playing well seems like a, a million years ago, um, and a, a team goal against Everton. Someone else said as well. So absolutely loads you could pick from for for something like goal of the year and even player of the year as well. We we narrowed it down to three or four, but you know you couldn't make cases for five or six players to have outstanding years. Uh, which you know we've come a long way, haven't we, with the podcast specifically? When a couple of years ago we were struggling to even pick two or three players or pick a goal of the season, so uh, long may this uh, this run of form continue, if you can even call it that. 
Uh, I did have these in some kind of particular order. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump all over the place to the best signing of 2023. So, of course, we've had two two transfer windows, the January one and the summer one. Uh, Alex Moreno, John Duran, Paul Torres, Moussa Diaby, Yuri um, Tielemans, and one other I'm probably forgetting, maybe. Zaniola. Uh, Zaniola, Longley. of course. Longley, yeah. So a few options to pick from. Uh, for me, this was a pretty straightforward one. Paul Torres. Anyone else go for Paul Torres? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Three of us. Uh, John, I'll let you talk about him because you're a better speaker than I am. Uh, but kind of, kind of as we said about um, Alex Moreno in the in the winter window of like transforming the way we play, Paul Torres has taken us to a, a different level, hasn't it? Yeah, I did a piece maybe a couple of weeks ago saying that I think he's arguably one of the best signings any team made in the summer. I genuinely believe that, and I think yeah. it's proof because we're while we're a point from the top we could go top over Christmas and Paul Torres is so significant to how we play obviously um offensively but also I think you know he made a few mistakes when he first came in and I was the first to say that he has to cut that out because it's all well and good progressing the ball and you know helping out there but if he's vulnerable and if he's a bit of a liability and we are conceding a goal again because of his mistakes then uh, obviously that isn't sustainable but he's cut that out of his game mostly I know he made a bit of an error a few weeks back now I think it was against Forest maybe he wasn't too tight to a player um, but he's putting his foot in he looks more secure he knows his position even better now he's been playing almost like a midfielder I think in some games recently against Brentford he was practically playing in like towards the final third when Villa had the ball against Zerinsky obviously as well but you can't take too much from that but yeah Torres for me um, probably the most progressive centre-back in Europe playing under a manager that obviously he knows very well I can't fault the transfer. I really can't. It's been transformational, as you say, like the Alex Moreno transfer was as well uh, for Villa and how they play. And, you know, if you take him out, I think Longley, to be fair to him, I think when he comes in, he does well. Whether or not he'll stay with the club after January, I don't know. But the point being that if Torres isn't in the team against kind of any opposition, I think you will notice a substantial difference. Or at least maybe if you're a player on the pitch, you'd notice a difference because you'd notice, for example, Ollie Watkins isn't getting the ball enough or, you know, McGinn is receiving the ball high enough as he'd liked and we're playing two or three more passes to get to the striker, whereas Torres will play into his feet and we can go straight away. And we're just constantly pinning the defence back, uh, which allows us to play the football that Emery wants. And we're always always suffocating the team as well. And then obviously, you know, given the other way, the offside trap, he's learnt that very well too, playing alongside um, Conser and Carlos. So yeah, I can't fault the transfer. I think he's been pretty much a 10 out of 10 transfer. Yeah. Rob, uh, a slightly different perspective from you, obviously slightly older than John and myself. Uh, where does he rank in terms of centre-backs you've seen at Villa? Well, it's... It's a difficult one because it's still fairly early doors. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it, it would be quite literally sacrilegious to compare anybody to Paul McGrath. But I, I also think they're very different mm. types of players, although McGrath obviously was able to play in midfield for the Republic of Ireland and do a great job of it, which showed what a capable footballer he was. I think in terms of being able to pass a ball, I've not seen a, a defender like Pau Torres at all uh, in a Villa shirt. Perhaps Gareth Barry when he was coming towards the end of his time as a third central defender just before he made that transition back into midfield. But otherwise, no, just watching him with the balls is an absolute delight. Sometimes it can be a bit scary. But um, I think for me, him as a signing of the season as well was representative of the change that we've 
we've seen at the club where mm-hmm. the last big name signing, as you touched upon, was Coutinho. And it was, oh, he used to be pretty good. I wonder if he can still be pretty good, you know, under Gerard. Whereas Pau Torres was was mentioned in the press and it was like, nah, we're not going to sign him. Sure, everybody wants him. And we got him and he is really good. He's not broken. He, he is a good footballer. <laughs> you know, it's just symbolic again of, of the progress that we're making as a club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, you've not picked Paul Torres. You've picked who I can only assume is second place to, for everybody else. Alex Moreno? It, now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> no, I've gone, um, I've gone for Alex Moreno. Um, probably a little bit of kind of absence making the heart grow fonder, kind of remembering the, 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 the impact that he had initially and now he's back as well um i think he's brave i think he's honest i think he's super talented whichever direction he's going um and again you know it's almost kind of been incremental hasn't he emery first of all had to work with what he got and make what he got better and then he's been able to add little kind of dollops not that i'm calling alex moreno a little dollop but little dollops of quality along the way and i think that was that was a sign of the kind of players that almost a glimpse into what Emery wanted. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, you know, we really see again, scored yesterday, didn't he? Um, I just think he's, I think he's a, he's, he's a cracking little player. And, you know, the fact that I think Luca Dean has done, done pretty well this season uh, and we haven't missed Moreno as much as we, we thought we would. But mm. I think when we get the likes of him back and Jacob Ramsey back, it starts to show what a squad we've got. Um, so yeah, I think the fact that again, that Emery hasn't made that many signings, but we've still got kind of competition with a couple of outstanding ones there shows that not only is he, is his coaching and his general management to this club being spot on, but so is the recruitment so far. Yeah. The comments are Torres by a mile, Pau Torres, Pau, Pau Torres, what a boy he's proved. Everything goes through Pau Torres, Pau Torres all day long, uh, Moreno definitely second so it's between those two uh, most people plumping for Pau Torres and I'm in full agreement with that um, I'm going to go with something slightly different next with surprise of the year now I said you could take this in any way you wanted to it could be a surprise result a surprise performance uh, an individual performance whatever it is um, Rob I'll start with you what was your biggest surprise of 2023 uh, my su- biggest surprise of the year was uh, being asked to speak to Adrian Childs on Five Live about the uh, the wet shirt fiasco. <laughs> and uh, just before just before me, Childs was interviewing uh, presumably his hero, Brendan Batson. So the, the pair of them were, were trying to give me a bit of grief from an Albion perspective, which <laughs> was never going to fly. Um, but yeah, it was it was bizarre, and I think as well showed the sort of profile of club that we are because at that point it was early in the season we were we were doing well but nobody was talking about us the way we are now mm. and the fact that we'd we'd got dreadful football shirts made national news yeah. um and I, I think just those those little bits that show you of oh wow you know we really are aston villa you know, if Leicester have got rubbish shirts nobody cares but if <laughs> have got rubbish shirts it's on the news um <laughs> And so, yeah, that 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 was a just a big thing for me. And obviously, talking to Adrian Childs was a, a absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad that we can take these down uh, some different answers rather than just purely on the pitch matters. Um, John, what was your biggest surprise? This might overlap into a different category, but 
I just put down the renaissance of Leon Bailey. I just, I did not expect a kind of a comeback story as good as what it's been. He is, I, I said it um, in the Brentford game when he made the assist. I genuinely think he's he's not the most uh, undroppable last year player, but from where he was um, last year, the year before that, and even six months ago at the end of last season, he was unreliable. And it was, you know, Leon Bailey is the most kind of classic winger you could ask for left foot cuts inside doesn't really know what he wants to do with it wasn't too confident dips in and out of form but right now he's playing out of his skin like he is one of the informed players in the Premier League and it was just something that I did not expect I um I didn't want to write him off and I thought there was a player in there and he could be a useful squad player because I know we were having conversations in the summer about well if the RB comes in you know we need to upgrade Leon Bailey you know sell mm-hmm. Bailey that sort of thing but it was always the case of well we have to improve the 11 because improving the 11 then improves your bench improves competition most of the RB's arrival has definitely helped Leon Bailey um and he has become a player that, as I say, we, we're relying on now. And that is not something that I thought I'd be saying, as I say, even six months ago. So um, full credit to him. He looks fit now. He's ready to play every game. He's He looks um, you know, capable of winning matches for Villa and, uh, and he has done. So yeah, full marks to Leon Bailey and full marks for his mentality as well. Because it's not easy to come back from where, yeah. where he was in a probably in a place of kind of, you know, low confidence, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, that's my surprise of Leon Bailey coming back into the form that he is now, like the level that he's playing at. I just didn't expect it to be that good. Yeah, totally agree. I said on the post-match show with Neil yesterday that if you'd have looked at the goals and assists of Leon Bailey, but I covered up which player it was, you probably would have guessed that's probably Musa Diaby maybe with, with that kind yeah. of output. I don't think anyone has, um, would have um, anticipated how good Bailey's been over uh, the last, I don't know, six months or so. Um Loads of comments for this one that go in various different directions. So I don't want to go to those first and spore them. Uh, Matt, what did you go for for surprise? Um, regular viewers and listeners probably won't be surprised by my choice of surprise. Uh, although what I chose to write, send it to you in the form of a kind of seven-year-old child's poem. I don't know. <laughs> are you, you going to read what you sent me? I can do, but I'm just cringing it before it even leaves my mouth. I've put the biggest surprise was the unwise demise of prize where it lies as Villa Park cries and a part of us dies. So, and part of me dying now, just reading that out loud. I'm supposed to be a grown man. Um, so, A, sorry, sorry about that. And B, I'm sorry about my obsession with the halftime entertainment, but I actually liked it. I was actually all for it. I don't think it needed changing. Uh, and, you know, we've moaned about these kind of crappy little goals that they throw up on the halfway line and, you know, somebody who's either able to answer a simple question or able to strike a ball quite cleanly on the half volley but not capable of doing both. <laughs> I just thought the format of Prize Where It Lies, even if you win a lifetime supply of Monster Energy drink, you know, it just worked, didn't it? And I know it was a faff getting the big bloody, whatever it was, the big big circle disc thing and sticking it back in the laundry trolley to get it back off of the pitch. But, oh, why did it? Why did it go? You know, I mean, I do love the fact that we're having such a great season. That's the only thing I can find oh, to yeah. moan about. But yeah. it ain't broke. Don't fix it. So there you go. Spoken like a man that brings his own food to the match. That is, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love how much thought you put into that. Um, right, a few comments then. Loads of shouts for for Leon Bailey, uh, Diego Carlos coming back from injury, and the fact how how good he's looked since how bad the injury was. Uh, US Crit says the lack of quality in the steak and kidney pies is my biggest surprise. Um, There's a couple earlier. Uh, surprise of the year with hindsight, Newcastle 5, Villa 1. Probably did us well to 
to take a hold in early in the season. Uh, David says, I didn't see the Newcastle win at Villa Park come in. Uh, Gaz battering Man City as a surprise. Um, Brighton result, totally dismantled them, says John. And that's kind of where I'm going to take my answer, I think. Just the fact that we're in title contention in December. How can that not be a surprise? Whoever would have saw that coming at any point over the last uh, 12 months. Oh, you and said also, top four to be fair. Couldn't be yeah, too far. No, I don't like to keep bringing it up that I was right about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, to be in a starter race come Christmas, whether you think we're going to go and do it, and I don't think there's many Villa fans realistically out there who will say, yes, we're going to win the league. It seems to be external voices saying that Villa have got a chance. I think we're just happy to be up where we are and, and top four would be an achievement. Um but if you'd have said a year ago, Unai Emery's going to take charge and do so well that you're going to get into Europe this season, next season you're going to be top of your European group and you'll be third, joint second, I think it might be, in the league come Christmas time and be genuinely in a, a title discussion at least, um, absolutely that has to be a surprise. And if you add into the factor that in the summer you lose Tara Mings and Buendia and Ramsey and Moreno and you still do all that, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I was just going to search how many manager of the months Emery's won because I don't think it's many and I do want to point out if it's only one that that's a disgrace. I don't think he's even won one, has he? Let me have a quick look. He won one in April and then you've got Arteta. Ten Hag's won two. (laughs) Wow. And Pogba's won three. Remarkable. Yeah, he won three in a row. Is it voted for by the fans like the player of the month is? I don't know to be it might be some like I don't actually know to be fair. It yeah, must yeah. be if that's the case. I'm I'm yeah. surprised Emery's won it once and if it's over by the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your surprise of the year, John? And Emery's only won manager manager of the month once. <laughs> no, to be fair, I, again we might be crossing over in something later, but <laughs> losing to Stevenage, I think, was a massive shock. Or was it Samson scoring? I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, Maybe we'll speak about that later. I'm not, I don't know, but I'm surprised that hasn't come in the comments. If, if not, I don't know, but yeah. Um, obviously, Stato is in the comments and he has won four LMA Performance of the Week awards, though. So that's uh, that's something at least. There's been lots of weeks in the year, hasn't there? How many games is that? So one of those was recently. One of those has got to be against Man City, surely. I mean, I obviously, Stato, if you can clarify for the rest of the show, that would be handy. Right, yeah. let's move on. Um, we'll go back to, I'll assume on the pitch matters with most improved. Um, Leon Bailey, somebody we've already talked about. Has anyone got Leon Bailey as the most improved? No? Not for me. I think because okay. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of watched a fair bit of him in the Bundesliga and okay. he's at the level that I hoped he would be at when we signed him. It's just taken him longer to get there. Okay. Um, where have you got then, Rob? So I went for Esri Concer. Because I think okay. he's he's reached a level that I didn't think he was capable of. He looked a good player when we signed him, and then he looked a liability for a little while, and then he started to look quite a good player again. <clears throat> and now you could make a pretty good argument that he's, you know, personality aside, he's the second coming of Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> Just his his pace, his ability to read the game, to step out of defence, to pick a pass. That goal he scored in pre-season, mm-hmm. it's just, it feels like every month I'm I'm seeing something else that he's added to his game and it's not a one-off. You know, he, he just, it comes into his game and then he delivers it on the regular and I'm struggling really to see, um, to see many flaws in his game at the moment. It's, 
you know, all, all you can ask is that, well, perhaps his crossing could get better if he's playing right back. You know, he's a central defender. And, yeah. you know, and, and if I think of the central defenders we've had at right back in the past, like Carlos Cuellar, you know, or Olof and whoever else, he's absolutely miles in front of them. So, yeah, you, I mean, people talk about a Rolls-Royce of a footballer and I, I feel like he's really heading in that direction for me. I'm flabbergasted by the the level of performance that he's able to deliver now and the frequency at which he's, he's performing at that level. And also stepped up in the absence of Tara Mings as well, which was something yeah. that was levelled at him a little bit, that he's kind of in, you know, second in command to Mings, that he's the main man and yeah. comes to just kind of rides his coattails kind of thing. But he's, he's more than stepped up in, in his absence in terms of being a leader as well, which was something that he probably even would admit himself is not his strongest point. But I think that's certainly improved over the last six months or so as well. Um just quickly before I forget, the LMA performances of the week were Villa 3, Newcastle 0, Villa 6, Brighton 1, Villa 4, West Ham 1, and Villa 1, Man City 0. So those are... We broke Brighton, didn't we? We yeah, broke Brighton. Yeah. They've been rubbish ever since we demolished them. It's amazing to see. Uh, like, what's that award? It's a bit like kind of winning a, a Radio Times award compared to an Oscar then, isn't it? Is it what, what do you think? <laughs> the LMA what? The LMA performance of the week. Oh, right, okay. Is that only <laughs> Premier League managers or is that like across the Football League? Or? I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Uh, let's move on. Uh, loads of people in agreement with uh, Osmond <laughs> improvement in the comments. Matt, who have you gone for? I've gone for Yuri Tielemans, but I don't know whether that's as much as him being most improved as him shutting up fickle fickle um, doubters like like me. Um, I was a bit, a, a bit worried in the first kind of month or so, which you probably should give people a wider, a longer sample <laughs> before you judge them than that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of talk from probably bitter Leicester fans that he was a spent force and he could be a little bit lazy and his fitness wasn't wasn't all that. And then when we saw him struggle to make an impact in the first few weeks, first couple of months perhaps, I thought, you know, are we going to are we gonna see the Tielemans that, that, that we had seen during his better times at Leicester? Um, but, he seems to have got up to pace quite quickly, whether it was a fitness issue, whether it was a belief issue, whether it was just the number of minutes that he was getting on the pitch. But maybe it was the tactical tweak as well of playing him a little bit bit further forward. But it seems mm. to have unlocked his potential. Uh, I think we've got a real player on our hands. And, you know, I don't know whether Robert have an opinion on this, but the midfield options that we've got now, if you're talking Tielemans, Louise, Kamara, McGinn, Jacob Ramsey's back in there, as well. Have I missed anybody? Um, I'm not sure we've had yeah. a complete midfield or the, the options like that. I can't I can't recall them in my Villa supporting lifetime, which probably goes back to the kind of late 80s. Um, yeah. I think we've got more options in the centre of the centre of the park than we've ever had before. And it's no coincidence that we're actually starting to challenge now because we're starting yeah. to, to dominate games in that area of the pitch as well. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout. And and, it, and when you talk about midfield options that we've had previously, if I think of the sparkling football that we played under Ron Atkinson 30 years ago and the midfield we had then, I mean, I, I had Gary Parker's name on the back of my shirt. You know, he, he couldn't hold a candle to some of these lads. It's, you know, unreal. And you now we've, we've had good good midfielders we've had great midfielders really if I think of we had Milner and Barry but to have it's like an embarrassment of riches because the players you've you've rattled off there Matt I mean that's not including any wingers that's not we're not talking about 
Arsenal, when Zaniolo, I'm hoping, inevitably hits form, when Diaby inevitably hits form, Bailey doing what he's doing. You know, historically, we would probably group them with the midfielders as, as being wingers. And you mm. start to look at just what a, what potential there is, and that's without some of the young kids that are on the fringes or out on loan, whether that's Lamari Bocarda or uh, Amari Kellyman, some of these young lads. It's, it is frightening, really, to, to look at that midfield. And looking at it objectively, I think it's, it's perhaps a little bit easier to see why we're beating teams because... There's not many people who'd want to play against them lot. Yeah, and I know you've got free transfers with massive wages and bonuses and whatnot, but think of the transfer fees paid for those players as well. McGinn, Peanuts, uh, obviously Ramsey's the academy. Tino and Kamara, both free. Louise, 12 to 15 million. Like it's, they're worth the a hell of a lot between them. Yeah, combined, what are you looking at? Like 300, 300 million? Not yeah, that we're going to talk about it's got over. It costs 17 and a half million. Yeah. If Mark Anstall was still on, he'd be delighted with that. <laughs> uh, where are we with um, picks for most improved? Is it just Matt who went with his? I've, I've lost track of where we are. John, did I you had Ezra from Rob. No, um, Ezra, yeah. from me. John, have you done yours? You're not, have you? I haven't had mine yet. No, I oh. went with Ollie Watkins, um, yeah. a player who I've... Well, I think we've all rated, uh, at least in some capacity, for some time, and we knew that we had some, that he had something in him. But I didn't expect him to be delivering the kind of output that he has under Emery. We know how he's changed his game in terms of, you know, making less runs off the ball, um, towards the ball. Sorry, getting on the ball less. He's kind of staying between the width of the posts. Two goals in thirteen games, I think, last season before Emery's arrival, and he's scoring like one every, you know two games or so. I think it's 20 goals in about 40 games, something like that, since Emery first came in, in the league. So, his output has been staggering. He's kind of rubbing shoulders with the best forwards in world football. And that's not an exaggeration. He just is. Again, we are that good now and he's our number nine doing the business. So, um, yeah, fantastic footballer, a player with a brilliant attitude and commitment to Villa as well, but a mentality to improve and I've always said that Emery couldn't just take over any group of players. And to be honest, I think that's why he's worked so well at Villa and at Sevilla, uh, at Valencia, and not so much at Arsenal and PSG, telling those players like Mbappe what to do. They don't want to be told. They just want to play their, play their own game and be the star. Whereas our team are all, you know, fulfilling a dream, really, of trying to get into Champions League football. These players didn't expect to do that this, you know, early in their, let's say early in their careers, because Watkins is obviously, you know, towards his latter, late 20s now, I suppose. But... When they signed for Villa, I don't think they would have expected to have kind of gone on a journey where they're punching now with the best teams in the division. They probably saw Villa as an opportunity to play in the Premier League and prove their worth as Premier League players. But mm. they're all on a journey together. And I think Watkins, like McGinn, like Mings, like Martinez, all of these players, they're all there. But in terms of the output, you know, scoring goals is probably the hardest thing to do in football. Um, but Watkins' attitude, I think, needs to be commended you know, Do you think, John, it. as a fan base, we're perhaps too harsh on Ollie Watkins? Because there's still a lot of fans will comment on the chances that he misses and sometimes yeah. he does miscontrol a ball or he tries to beat yeah. a man and gets it caught under his feet, which are areas to still improve upon. Yeah. But if we were to try and sign somebody better that doesn't miss the few chances he misses, I don't know who we signed that you know would realistically come to Aston Villa. You're looking at Harry Kane-level footballers. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very short-sighted to just say, like in the summer, it was the case of, um, or in the previous summer, so for example, when we sold Danny Ings, it was a case of, well, we have to now sign uh, this player for so much money and 
while I don't doubt Villa were looking at forwards and maybe they still are as backups, I don't know. But you're right. If Watkins leaves, that's a huge hole that we have to fill with a 70, 80 million pound signing. What 70, 80 million pound signing comes to Aston Villa? And what player is there anyway? Because Watkins for me is, you know, right up there with the best strikers in Europe. Yeah. Who, who do we possibly look at? And it's, um, it's a non-starter for me in terms of he's either uh, a player that has so much more to improve and stuff. For me, he's, he's he's not the finished product yet, but he's a complete striker and a player that you know is absolutely pivotal to where we're going and where we've got to. Um, and yeah, the kind of the noise about are oh, we missing some chances and whatever the goal scoring ratio that he gives it proves that you know if he was doing that, it'd be better than Erling Haaland in terms of output, and that's the best striker, one of the best strikers that's ever lived, probably. So. Um, yeah, Watkins for me is definitely the most improved player. Yeah. I think with, with Watkins as well, I think you've got to factor in the fact that he might miss a few chances. You don't miss many games. He's got mm. a really, really, I know he, he did a couple of weeks ago, but he's got a really impressive fitness record. Don't want to jinx it now, but considering the amount of effort that he has to put in and the way he has to lead that lead that line. And, yeah. you know, I know we've got John Duran now who can give him a little bit of, of, of a break in some European games and, you know, towards the end of Premier League games. But Watkins still has to get through an awful lot of work. I know Emery's tweaked it so that he's able to do more of that work in and around the penalty area and in central areas rather than having to kind of patrol the both, both flanks to shut down fullbacks. But... I think that's got to be factored factored in as well because even if you got your eighty million pounds that you then wanted to go and sign a top level striker, are you going to get one who's that durable as well? Um, so mm. I do think I do think we are we have been a little bit harsh on him, and you know I have to kind of give my my, my son a little friendly slap around the ears every time he moans if Wally Watkins misses a chance because. I know that invariably, whether it's that match or the next match, my son will be back on his feet celebrating another Ollie Watkins goal. So, um, yeah. yeah, this this is the danger of becoming such a such a, a successful, well, hopefully successful club. Though our standards keep keep climbing and climbing, don't they? So we're going to going to be less forgiving, I think. Mm. I think Watkins had what three Premier League goals was it at the start of the year when we sold Danny Ings as top scorer at the time, and obviously went on to do what was it fourteen in the end last season, fifteen, fifteen, uh, 15, 15 in the end. So you know a, a barnstorming second half of the season. He's on nine already in seventeen appearances in the Premier League specifically. He's only six goals away from matching his best you know goals return for us. And let's face it, he could have that by the end of the calendar year. With Sheffield United, he's on course to be a twenty-goal Premier League striker. Yeah, and, and the amount of goals and and chances he'll get in Europe as well in the latter stages. He's an unbelievable footballer, and we've spoke a lot about him over the last few months. You know, we did a video what, two weeks ago about it. only Erling Haaland is better than him in the Premier League at the moment as an out-and-out striker. So there's not much more to say about Ollie Watkins. Uh, I, I absolutely love him, and he will go on to be our all-time Premier League top goal scorer at some point. It, it's inevitable, in my opinion. Um, loads of positive discussed so far. There's three or four categories left that are all good ones, apart from one that is low. Who's your most improved one? Oh, sorry, yeah, wrong, wrong button. Uh, I went McGinn, my mind, uh, okay. just because of the what he was doing under Steven Gerrard, and he wasn't alone. Most players were poor under Gerrard, but I question the choice of a captaincy. I question that he should still even be in the team, and to do what he's done in in 12 months of transforming his game being a genuine leader and a perfect captain. Um, you know, Emery has kind of unlocked something in him and he just, you know, we said it a million times, if John McGinn plays well, Aston Villa tend to play well and tend to win. He's, he's that important to us. So, um, 
Yeah, one of, one of my favourite players. To I did watch. read the other day that he's only 16 goals off being Scotland's all-time record goal scorer. Yeah, that's ridiculous, isn't it? As a midfielder as well. Yeah, madness. Yeah. When and One thing Scotland were pretty handy at has been having decent strikers over the years. Yeah. So. There's a good yeah, chance right. he will he will break that record at some point as well. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think he takes penalties either, does he, for Scotland? No. Hopefully yeah. he does from now on, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, special footballer, and we're, we're very lucky to have him. Uh, let's get on, let's get this one out of the way. Low light of 2023, most disappointing thing of 2023, however you want to phrase it. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you first. What's been the worst thing about 2023 for you? I'm glad we've got our resident kit expert on here. I know he's mentioned it previously, but I think I, I, on the text message to you, I put those crappy jumped in the canal kits. Um, I think when we when we spoke about them a couple of months ago, I think it was. Uh, I don't know whether you all remember this, Rob. It'll go over Dan and Dan and John's heads. But when you used to do your kind of swimming lessons and get your badges, and you had to jump in, <laughs> jump in the deep end in your pajamas to rescue a brick. Um, right. I think it, it it got a little bit of that look about it, hadn't it? You know, ten minutes into matches and finely tuned athletes look like they're absolutely kind of dripping, dripping yeah. in sweat and, and out of condition. Um, but yeah, I just think, and again, it, it's a sign of how well Aston Villa are being yeah. are doing doing on the pitch that, that I'm having to find that as a low light i probably would add some of the and again this is probably me trying to be the champion of the working class fans but some of the stuff that's gone around the kind of the, the court you know what's what, what's the word gentrification i suppose of yeah. of aston villa football club and trying to make it more corporate i get it i understand it i don't like it and i can't afford it um but it'll be that it'd be the kit and it'd be some of the things like the kind of the the, the lower grounds and, and, and mm. that kind of thing that's just me being a, a miserable old man i think no a couple of comments the, the word you use there from gaz the gentrification of the halt end uh, and neil the terrace view and the lower grounds off the pitch on the pitch stevenage uh john you mentioned stevenage earlier is that yours uh no i don't think it was okay what's yours then it was um toro ming's injury against newcastle yeah that's mine as well kind of Yep. both of them really uh the defeat in itself wasn't good and we've we did a whole like two hour video on it or one hour video on it basically explaining the reasons why and the, one of the main factors was Tyro Mings and I was glad to see his uh video a few weeks ago explaining his rehab and he's uh, and he's not retiring <laughs> yeah hey but he's been doing you know different bits and mainly just because at that moment we all knew what Mings went through when he had his ACL for Bournemouth and what toll that took on him. It, it wasn't just an injury. It was genuinely like something that really affects him as a human being. So for me, that was the kind of like, oh, what's going to happen? And it was nice to get an update about what he's been up to and what he's doing. And he seems to be in decent spirits as well. So that's good. And obviously, Wendy also had an ACL injury. Don't want to kind of overshadow it. But it was just the situation with Mings previously that really kind of, I think, distressed some fans thinking, well, this is going to be... Um, or it could be a repeat and we'd like to know that he's okay, but he's clearly in good support with Villa anyway. So yeah, um, good to see he's doing all right. Oh, oh, sorry, good to see he's doing all right now, but yeah, for sure, that was my uh, low point of the year. Yeah, agree. That was mine as well. I thought of something else I'll go to in a second. Rob, take it away. What was your low light of the year? Yeah, so I'd also got Tyrone's injury. Okay. I think, you know, on a personal level, mm. as much as anything, I think he's characterised so much of... The turnaround at the club since he arrived, he's it's his own personal redemption arc. Kind of matches ours as a club, and to to see him in so much pain, somebody who's typically a warrior, um, to see us then go on and get battered in the same match, and knowing that 
really you probably wouldn't have got that injury if the old rules were still in place that the flag goes up for offside as soon as they're offside. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was just, I can't remember feeling like that after a match since probably the Arsenal game at Christmas when I was still a student and Santa Claus came parachuting in and rolled off the roof. Uh, don't worry, any kids watching at home, he was fine and he will still deliver your presents this year. Um, but I had I had that sort of feeling to myself that I'd seen something really, mm. really bad, really unpleasant. Um, yeah. So be interesting to see what happens when he when he is fit. You know where does he where does he fit into that team now? I mean, it seemed like there was going to be a gaping hole. I, I think the one thing I would say is that if we have got some ambitions of playing three at the back in some away games, you potentially put Torres as the central one out of the three to be able to step up and play the ball forward, and then Mings and Conta have got the athleticism to go either either side of him and and use their their strength and pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think Unai will be really working out what a, what tactical tweaks he can make with Mings, with Buendia and some of these players when they are back from injury. Yeah, every time we do a and a people say, where, do, where does Mings fit back in? And I kind of just keep avoiding the question because I don't know the answer at this stage. It's yeah. mad, isn't it? If you just said, Unai does, don't worry. If you, yeah, yeah, of course, if you just said at the time what a blow he would be, you'd just think, oh, yeah. Struggle to even stay in the top 10, like that'd be decent if we're we're still around that conversation without him. Um, a couple of different comments then. Newcastle game was horrible, says Jim. Uh, two little two nil loss to Nottingham Forest, says Phil. Without that, we'd be top right now, and it's the only game this season we haven't scored in. Uh, somebody said the new badge, which is fair enough. Uh, the Terrace View and lower grounds. John says Stephen Gerrard being our manager now, we have an elite manager. Technically, that was 2022, so I can't, can't allow that in a 2023 review, but you're right, Stephen Gerrard was woeful. Um, I'd also pick Tyra Mings, but again, for the sake of a different conversation, I will say some of the off-the-pitch stuff we've seen in recent weeks in particular, the Legia Warsaw stuff at Villa Park a few weeks ago was particularly grim from, from their set of fans attacking the police and all that kind of stuff. But just as a, a side point to that for, for something that's online and something we all deal with, so I like the weird, weird social media stuff from opposition fans. And I, I, I put this in the last particular weeks from the Arsenal defeat, the Brentford defeat and the Spurs defeat, the Matty Cash stuff, the Romero stuff, the Watkins thing yesterday at Brentford, people getting death threats. And I hope this, your children die and all these kind of really horrible things that people are, are spouting online because you lost a football game. People need a reality check to, to what is going on in the world if that's something that gets you in that position. Um, so a low light of the year is the, I don't know, the, the standard of fan culture maybe on, on, online in particular. Just some mm. weird, weird stuff out of there. Yeah, and unfortunately that's going to, you can bring that up every year. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah. it's toxic. Social media stinks. Like there's so many idiots on there. There's a lot of people, some idiots in the world in general, but like the Watkins stuff, um, there was clearly one fan that was abusing his one of his family members throughout the second half, and Watkins is not the person to cause any trouble or whatever mm. it may be. But just in general, I don't even I say even Villa fans when you sit around and they're hurling abuse at um, players, they're just humans. I really I've, I've never been able to understand it why Sorry. them playing on a pitch means that you can hurl abuse at them at people that they know or whatever it may be. 
if you're doing your job, you wouldn't expect that. And I understand football's tribal and there's banter, but when it crosses a line, it is, um, it's just no place for it, and especially on social media when they hide behind little football avatars and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, unbelievable. No the, the one I saw yesterday, I don't want to dwell on this too much because it is grim, it's disgusting. They're obviously, the, the Tom Lockyer stuff in the looting game suffered a car mm-hmm. arrest, collapsed for the second time in six months or so this year. And obviously a, a really serious thing. Some Brentford fans were suggesting Ollie Watkins should suffer a cardiac arrest after his antics in, yeah, in terms of celebrating in front of the fans. Like, what the hell? Like, what is what what is they're going through your mind to say stuff like that? They're not. They're just revolting people. They're just. They're not. You don't want to attach them to Brentford. I know you say Brentford, done, but and I say you know every, every fan base. Yeah, has I mean, they're, they're not part of football. They're just. But these, these people yeah. walk amongst us, so they might sit next to you in the stadium and keep it to themselves mm-hmm. in person and go online and, and say terrible, terrible things. I just, I just don't get it. Like you, yeah, I just I can't yeah. wrap my head. Well, right I think out. the reality is, if 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 your own life isn't worth very much, then neither's anybody else's, and that's yeah, that's unfortunately yeah. the the situation. A lot of these people will likely find themselves in. Mm. Okay, let's move on. There's uh, three categories left that are all really positive. So let's go and flip it to the highlight of 2023. Now, again, you could take this in uh, many diff- different ways. Um, we'll start with you, Max. You've been quiet for a little bit. What's your highlight of 2023? Um, I think just simply Unai Emery being our manager. Um, to pinch myself sometimes and realise kind of what a what a class act he is. Um, I think I put on my message to I want to have his babies now. Whether whether that's possible, I'm not sure. Um, but certainly, kind of, I've I've never known anything like it. And like I said, I've, I've followed Villa since the kind of mid '80s and been lucky enough to see us win a couple of things. You know, a couple of couple of league cups uh, and to challenge for the title under under Grant Taylor, Big Ron. Um, you know, John Gregory's. Villa flirted with it um, probably about 25 years ago. Um, look, you know, being around the top. Were we top at Christmas, Rob? I can't remember, but being around around the top. Uh, yeah, we were, we were in I the reckoning. Probably into the Trinity. Yeah. Um, but to actually, and we said this after the, the Man City game, which I'm sure we'll come back to soon enough, um, to see Villa actually play that kind of style of football that dominates dominates the treble winners, dominates largely regarded as one of the best clubs, best best club teams in the world. I'm not, I don't know how he's done it. I don't know what kind of magic is is at play to do it. And it's not a fluke because he's done this, he's done this consistently throughout his career. Um, and, you know, you people are probably sick to death of me, of me having this kind of loving with, with, with Unai Emery. But, I just, I just hope that the laboratory conditions that we've got at the moment for him, you know, being able to give him control over pretty much everything. I mean, I just hope somebody, I wish somebody would let him take control of the match day food. To be honest, because we'd be, we'd be, and, and the match day halftime entertainment because we'd be, we'd be sorted then. But I just hope that we continue to keep pace with his, with what he wants. Mm-hmm. Give him everything he, give him everything he wants, and he will deliver for us. So, you know, I know that's a long-winded answer, but I couldn't, I couldn't let this kind of 2023 review pass without me uh, giving him loads of love again. No, absolutely fair. Rob, what's, what's your pick? Uh, well, speaking of having people's babies, I am going to uh, say that for me, I'll, I'll go deeply personal with it. And uh, my daughter, Amelia, has started getting into football this year. Uh, okay, she's nice. eight years old. We live up in the Northwest, so we don't get the chance to, to get to as many games as either of us would like. 
Um, but I, I took the kids down. It was my little boy's birthday in March, and we went to the uh, women's game at Villa Park. Uh, and they, she absolutely loved it, and she she really kind of got a flair for what was going on on the pitch. She was saying, well, why, why do the Villa players wait till the others are close to them before they pass the ball? And, you know, she was really recognising what was going on. So we went to a women's game the following week and then she wanted to go to to a men's match. So the easiest ones for us to get to so far have been uh, the Europa League games. So mm. took her to Hibs. Atmosphere was a little bit flat because obviously it was a dead rubber. Uh, but she still enjoyed herself. She wants to know which player's song has got the most swearing in it. So I've told her it's Tyrone Mings and she's now dead excited about him being back from injury so that she can hear that. Um, and then, yeah, we took her to the Legia match, which was, as a dad, was quite a, an interesting experience because going there expecting that there could be trouble, mm. you know, saying to her before the game, you know, if at any point I grab you and start running, you know, don't panic. It's, you know... Because she just had to be prepared. She did let me know that she's the second fastest runner in year four, so not to worry. Um, but uh, but yeah, so now it's. I think her getting into it has really brought back to me. I've got the love of football of Villa doing well, but also seeing it through the eyes of a child again. And I think I've had the the privileged position, you know, like you guys really have, have been able to peek behind the curtains of the sport a little bit and. You get to know the people and the goings on and the workings, and you know sometimes the you lose, or certainly for myself, you you lose a little bit of the magic of of what made football so important. And so mm. now having her as part of it with me, as yeah, it's it's like I've I've got a new lease of life of being a football supporter. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it's got to be that. The Legia game also would have been my. Uh, my second choice for surprise of the year because it was only when we got in the car afterwards and put Talk Sport on that we realised there'd been no away fans in the ground. We just thought they'd been really quiet. She was like, I thought they were going to be noisy. I was like, so did I. Because we were at the other end of uh, of the Witten Lane stand, then we couldn't oh, see where the away okay. fans were supposed to be. And it was only we got in the car and it was, oh, there was none in the ground. Um, so yeah, took us by surprise, but that, yeah, that's that's been my personal highlight is seeing it again through the eyes of a child. Yeah, really nice answer, John. What's yours? You won't, whatever you say, won't be as good as that. So, yeah, exactly. Just get it out of the way. John, John sees um, every match through the eyes of a child. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you're right. I went with the final whistle, uh, from the Brighton game so final whistle of last season when we got back yeah. into Europe I just yeah. um it was like oh well <laughs> we've actually done it and it was uh, a fantastic moment I, I know there was a clip that was going around and it was John McGinn kind of like shielding the ball in the corner and he, he I think he won a corner and then the ref blew his whistle so that was like a nice uh, kind of you know John McGinn's I always say has lived the v-sports era and stuff and yeah that was kind of fitting but yeah just a finally be back in Europe that was that was it I was going to say something like you know winning at AZ because that was like our first big win back in Europe but I just thought well actually the moment of being back and seeing yeah. the kind of the stadium it was just bouncing em- Emery walking around the sides with uh Nasef and Wes Edens as well you, the whole club just felt like okay now now we're back um we've had this last 
four months of fantastic results and seven months of Unai Emery doing his thing. Uh, and we've we've actually, it's come together and it's done something. You know, if he finished eighth or ninth, it would be like, ah, oh, we came close, but it's been, you know, it's been good and we can go next season, that sort of thing. But to actually get there and get over the line, um, fantastic. You know, we're back in Europe and it's, Matt said earlier, but I'm pinching myself as well because we're, we could be top of Christmas. Like it's, it feels absolutely surreal, but then at the same time, because we are so good and we've got Unai Emery, who's an elite manager, it's like, well, I don't think it's going to end. And again, I was writing something yesterday saying, well, actually, I might be a bit late to the party, but I actually think we probably will get Champions League football this season because we're that good. And we've now got a nine-point gap. And I'm thinking, well, are we going to lose that gap? Probably not. And that, I said that yesterday. is wild. And I know people are talking about title races and stuff. And you know, time will tell if that comes to fruition or whatever. But we are that good now. And, you know, just the moment of getting back into Europe, though, was for me, uh, yeah, a real nice moment. And like, as a personal level, obviously, that was, you know, the last game before I had to like give up a season ticket and stuff to do the job I do now. So that was nice to kind of end it on a high, like going with my dad and my brother all the time. And mm. um, to really celebrate that, it would, you know, it would have been quite a a bit of a, you know, meh moment if it was um, kind of fizzling out and we got top 10, and, you know, great. But to get back into Europe and to see where we are now, that specific moment I'll look back on as like the that was when it really started. I know a lot came before then, but that was like a memorable moment that I don't think I'll forget. Yeah, that's a, a great answer. I think that's probably my answer for favourite game, which we'll get onto in a second. Um, highlight of the year is Villa Park form in 2023 for me. Just feeling like I don't know how many games we played at home in 2023, like 20, 21 or something maybe as a rough guess. And we've yeah. obviously won at least 15 of those because we've won the 15 in a row. Um just going to Villa Park as a season ticket holder still and thinking, well, we'll probably win today. And just having that like belief that we'll do it even against the likes of Arsenal and Man City and to have that and it's coupled with the, the things you guys have mentioned as well that Emery is the guy to get us there and you know this kind of run of form we've been on has been is, is unbelievable. Um, and, and the amount of dross we've seen at Villa Park over the last even 10 years, never mind going back any further, to now be going there thinking, well, we'll probably win and we'll do so playing well, playing nice football and scoring goals is... Yeah, my, my favourite thing, going to Villa Park with that expectation. Um, the one I'm going to move on to now very quickly, I don't know what I, if I worded these wrong when I was making the little slides. I've got moment of the year, which is basically highlight of the year, but I was maybe thinking of like a specific thing rather than like a wider thing, like a run of form. Um, is anyone, did you get answers for this that were different enough for us to talk about? I mean, yeah, I did. I, uh, my moment of the year was... Uh, when John Duran signed for Villa and they showed him uh, Angel's video on okay, the big screen yeah, yeah. from the whole end. And it just, I don't know, it was just awesome. It just felt very Villa of mm. you know, welcome to the family. The fact that JPA was still dead pleased to to get involved with the club and still speak so highly of us. You've got a young kid there, 19 years of age. Yes, he moved away from Colombia earlier in his in his life, but you know, he wasn't that far away from home, pretty much the same time zone, whatever else, to then, you know, completely different, awful weather, different time zone. And to have done that, I think it spoke of the the difference in the club, especially, you know, any of us that were around when Angel signed for Villa and a lot of the, the talk of how hard it was for him to settle in because there was nobody at the club taking care of that which is crazy to think of now but he just had to fend for himself didn't speak the language you know it was a, a disaster and the, the how that's turned on its head 
And I just thought from a, a sporting perspective, from a club perspective, and just from a, a human perspective, it just felt so Aston Villa to me. I, I mm. felt really proud of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with mine next as a moment. And uh, I've put every time the Conference League music is played, because I like <laughs> I like the tune. And I, every time, every time it plays, I go, oh, "I wish this was the Champions League music." And I genuinely feel like we're not far away from it being the, the Champions League music, and that will elevate it even even higher. But even just like when we did the YouTube live stream when we were in the draw, and it's like, okay, we qualify for Europe back in that in that Brighton game that you mentioned, John. And you have the whole summer, and like, yeah, you know you're going to be in it, but you don't really hear anything about it apart from like different coefficients and groups and whatever else. And all it all kicks off properly, and you see the logos and the music plays. I kind of go oh, this is it now, we're proper, we are back, we're back in something proper, something tangible. Uh, and, and obviously the home games at Villa Park in, in the Conference League, and they, they stand there and the camera walks by and the music comes on, it's like, there's a moment, it's an individual, like 30 seconds or so, uh, that music is, it's a bop as well, isn't it? It's a good tune. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I was lost in the moment of uh, <laughs> thinking of the last match, watching it on TV of the, the last one in Mostar. And it was like it was being filmed on a BlackBerry when they were going across. <laughs> like the picture quality was dreadful. So, uh, yeah, I was just reminiscing about that. Of I wonder, like, did they even play the music in the stadium, or was it just being played like over the <laughs> over the speaker? Yeah, <laughs> being played off like the the commentator's phone into his little microphone or something. It's just Dan's, it's just Dan's ringtone. That is, to get it played. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, have you got a moment? I've got a couple actually because the, I think John John's more eloquently than me described what my moment. I was going to say Emmy Martinez on the pitch when he said, "Let's go to Europe, baby." Mm-hmm. Um, at the after the the Brighton victory, um, but the other the other couple of ones, um, I don't know whether this is this is the, the right thing to highlight, but. When that fella, when he's he's trying to wang the bottle of mayonnaise over the stand and he falls <laughs> over the curb, yeah. I just think it's in terms yeah, of justice. I'm sure that's not the right amount of justice, but in terms of justice being dished out quite quickly, was it yeah. your gag, Rob, about it being welcome to Hellman's? Was that your? It was indeed. I was going to use it again there. Yeah, of oh yeah, I'd sorry, love mate. For, I'd love for a oh, swab, a big tifo. Welcome, welcome to Hellman's. Just <laughs> uh, <laughs> black outline of him about to splat with his condiment. Um, which yeah, would be lovely. <laughs> My good teeth. I went in a Banksy style with you. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you could write it. Well, you could. I did, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> and the um the other one completely random. But um, I said it's before, Dan, didn't I that I've got this um. My one indulgence is having a Bluetooth speaker in my bathroom so I can put my tunes on when I'm in the shower. And sometimes I leave it hooked up after I've had my shower and then I play my WhatsApp voice messages on there. And I played one from Dan. And it was like Dan was like God, like talking down, it was like booming out from these from these big speakers. I mean, it was it wouldn't have been anything particularly profound. It had been something oh, like no, no. Matt, something can you send me can you send me your answers to this or something? Can I, can I have a day off, please? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, so those are my three rather random, random moments anyway. Nice. Okay. John, have you got one? I think I got my moment and my highlight or whatever it was that we just did then mixed up. But I had um, the week or back-to-back games against Man City and Arsenal, winning them both 1-0, winning them in very different ways. I know that's not a moment, but I think I got confused with the last round. But yeah, just... um, Last season's top two, two of the best teams in the world, being them both at Villa Park. We equaled the record, then set the record. So, you know, there's, there's much more to it as well. Um, to you know, literally create history with that Arsenal win. So, yeah, 
I don't think it gets much better than that, really, does it? Playing the top mm. two, home and away. Sorry, both at home, three days apart. Winning them both 1-0, two clean sheets. Again, we batted City, could have been 3-4-0. And then Arsenal, we were kind of, you know, slogged it out, but we got over the line and we showed real grit and determination. So, yeah, and made history with it. So those those two games, you can't really get much better than that in, uh, in a week. Yeah, special mention to uh, Wesley's tweet yesterday after Ben May got <laughs> sent off as well. Yeah. That was one of my moments of the uh, of just Wesley must. I can't even imagine what his heart must feel like when he sees Ben Me on yeah. a football pitch. Yeah. Did you? And I, I haven't listened back to the post match show, but Thomas Frank, who said that it was never red card, mm. <laughs> I am baffled. Can someone explain that? I, I was in the press conference and I heard him say, and I didn't want to say anything that he hadn't said, so I had to ask people, did he say that? And they're like, yeah, he said he wasn't a red card, and there was no, you know, no way. And I, I'm absolutely baffled. I can't understand it. He's, yeah. he's, he's off the air. It's dangerous. And he could have snapped his leg. Because yeah, well, he, he didn't kill him, I think that was the... <laughs> that that was the it seems to be that injury is the barometer of whether it's a red card or not. Yeah. On match of the day two last night, they were unanimous in saying that was an awful tackle. If Bailey's yeah. leg's on the floor, he's done. Yeah, that's exactly what we said on the post-match. It was if, if that's his standing leg or he just plants that foot and, and catches it at yeah. the wrong time, Bailey's broken his leg. Easy. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. Both feet are off the ground. It's out of control. It's the, the most textbook red card you will ever see. And for Thomas Frank to say, it's not a red. It's like a, a whatever the phrase was. Without hesitation either. It was just yeah, never a red. No red. No, no way. Yeah. I, I was Again, Things we said before kind of sets this precedent that if you're a fan who's willing to go out and say bad things and your manager's going, like, agrees with you that you also didn't think it was a red, almost gives you that, uh, enables you to think, I can go and say something now because even my manager didn't think it was a red. Yeah. Like, it, it was a blatant red card and to, to deny it is just silly. It's just stupid from him. Quite like Thomas Frank, but that's just madness. I don't. Do you not? No. no fair enough. It okay. looks like it smells like the inside of an old woolly hat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's constantly chewing like a cow. Oh, the chewing, yeah. They put a close-up of him chewing like, with his mouth open. And, and I, I, when I look yeah. at him, I can't help but imagine being able to hear it, and it stresses me out. Yeah, disgusting. So, yeah, I'm not okay. a fan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of keeping you all here for too long. There's only a couple left. Uh, this one is favourite game, and we've probably all talked about certain games over the course of this show, and we might be repeating ourselves. Uh, there's, again, loads to choose from. For mine, I went for Brighton, uh, and I couldn't quite decide whether it was the qualifying for Europe game or the 6-1, so I'm going to go with both. Beating Brighton twice at Villa Park in two different circumstances. That moment, you just said, John, of uh, McGinn holding it in the final in the, in the corner in the final seconds and blowing the whistle and eventually getting back to Europe was unbelievable. And to dismantle them the way we did at Villa Park earlier this season, there's like a, at one of the first times we like set our gauntlet down of like, okay, Forget West Ham, Brighton and Villa all competing for the top seven, maybe. We're far and away better than these. And that was, again, like setting a precedent for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, mine was Newcastle, the 3-0. I don't know if it yeah. was the best game, but it was... In that run that we had, we beat lots of teams. We beat Chelsea away, but it's Chelsea. And I think that they have Frank Lampard. Oh, no, it's still Graham Potter, I think. Um, but... The Newcastle game, that was a proper team. And the team obviously got top four. They were excellent last season, Newcastle. They really were. And that, I think, is something that we're emulating this season. I don't know. Maybe we're better. Um, I don't want to compare the two, but, I mean, I just have. That Newcastle team was very good, though. And we blitzed them at Villa Park. We really did. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't there to see it. But, I don't know. Maybe on TV, I had a... <laughs> 
there was more analysis of the game potentially. I don't know, but that was the best thing that I think we played under Emery um, for a period mm. of time, and we we trounced them. And I know we lost to Arsenal and uh, City previously, but those games are obviously going to be difficult. But yeah, Newcastle coming to Villa Park that was always going to be a massive test for us, and we passed it very yeah. easily. So that was my favourite. Like we've, you know, we're we're this good now. Mm. Rob, same for me. Um, anyone that's kind of watched my YouTube endeavours on the kit breakdown will know that my co-host Craig is a uh, is a Newcastle supporter. And so I was actually sat in a bar with him for, um, I can't even remember who was in charge when we, it was post Gerard but pre-Emery when we got absolutely slapped at St. James's. Yeah, I don't that's right and so yeah so we we had that i couldn't have named him in a million years by the way um and yeah so so i got that lingering over me and then just how they were flying and yeah to john's point i think people were saying well villa villa are doing all right but they haven't played anybody good yet Mm. and then somebody good rolls up into town and we absolutely chased them out of villa park it was just incredible yeah so good yeah matt have you got anything different yeah, predictably, I'm going for um, the one a couple of weeks ago in Manchester City. I think it was the it was the time where at half time I, I just couldn't believe we weren't winning. I thought this is going to come back and bite us on the arse. This is that we we haven't haven't taken the lead, but I think it was the complete performance. I think it was it was um, an evening when I th- thought actually stopped stopped to take stock. I thought we're witnessing something really special here because mm. the more that you turn up at Villa Park, the more that you win football matches, I wouldn't say complacency creeps in, but that certainly expectations levels are cranked, are cranked up. And I just thought, actually, we're, you know, I, I think with the exception of the, the Liverpool game, when we, we've spanked Liverpool 7-2 and there are only a few lucky people inside the stadium to, to watch it, I don't know a time where where Villa have not just kind of beaten the elite, but but beaten them and dominated them, um, and actually probably one of the most one sided one nils that that I've ever seen. Uh, so again, it is recently biased, but it was such a, a fabulous kind of culmination of, of what what mm. playing under Unai Emery is all about. That mm. yeah, even the Newcastle one was special, but Newcastle were almost a club that was ready to challenge the elite Manchester City we know they're on the on the way in a little bit, bit bit this season compared to what they achieved last season but to beat that club in, in such such an emphatic way um yeah I thought it was magnificent yeah all the comments are full of the three games we've spoken about Newcastle Brighton and Man City uh, there will be others for, for different people for different reasons as well but those I think are probably the the top three for, for most right this one is slightly different. I've got favourite podcast moment or episode or, or whatever. I'll start with you, Rob, for this one because you're a viewer predominantly more so than a, a producer or whatever the word is. Uh, have you got a favourite Claret and Blue moment? I have, yeah. I, I couldn't remember exactly which podcast it was, but you'd had a bit of a snotty nose for a bit and Villa had won. That could be any about time in the last few months. Yeah, about 10 or 15 minutes of the podcast were you, were you and Matt just talking about how inconvenient it is to not be able to talk properly and not being able to breathe properly. And I liked it, not because... That's the highlight. <laughs> yeah, well, not because of you suffering, but it was just... It was nice that although the villa were flying, at heart, we're still brummies. And when it boils down to it, if you've got a snotty nose and you can't breathe properly, you've got to have a proper chat with a mate about it because it's not cool. 
Um, so, so that was that was right up there. And then I think podcast as a whole, um, the one where you uh, were talking about kind of the off the field matters and mm. and addressing that. And although you had to caveat it of, oh, we're not looking for reasons to to bash the club. I think you know it, it was right that there was a lot of chatter and still is because it's important to people. Although the team's playing well. People spend a lot of money and devote a lot of time to, you know, to go into Villa Park or, you know, just following the club. And so I think it was right to to have a conversation and raise some of those topics that are important to people. The match the match day experience goes beyond forty five quid to to see and win. Um, you know, so I, I thought that was really good. I thought it was a really important piece of work as much as anything. Mm. Thank you for that, Rob. I didn't set this up to be a... I mean, one of it was about, oh, you were a snotty git, so I'm not going to give you praise too much. Um, Tom, have you got a, a standout moment from, from the calendar year? From the podcast, my... I mean, my favourite podcast was probably the one that I was most involved in was the Matty Cash interview. You know, for myself, that was just great yeah, yeah. to be involved in. Um, and nice insight as well from Cash. He was really laid back. I think he actually gave us quite a lot. It wasn't, you know, a scripted answers or anything like that. He was mm. um, full on, fully on board with explaining lots of different things. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, as a moment, probably when we had our uh, Europa Conference League playoff draw and we either had Hibernian or FC Luzerne. Well, I think it was Luzerne or Luzerne. Um, and I remember that I had a pair of shorts, SC Luzerne yeah. shorts. It was the most random, bizarre thing. And I genuinely didn't even remember or think about it up until you mentioned the name. And it just clicked and I thought, hold on, that's the one pair of football shorts I have. That was bizarre. Um, so I, I, was, I don't collect football kits or anything like that, but they were the one pair. I have no idea how I've got TK them. TK Maxx, that is. TK Maxx. It must, all be, it. It must, it must be, it's probably a five-a-side thing where I had to wear white shorts. <laughs> and, and SC Luzerne are the ones in TK Maxx. It's bizarre but yeah that was a more random moment i think than anything else yeah good one i wish i had time to think of something super specific like that i've got the the very generic answer of the hockley live show uh, that we did in june i think it was to do something uh, like that in front of a, an audience is is great um the the so many different moments some of them in the comments have refreshed my memory the unicycle stuff that was this year i think matt unicycle yeah. is that happening unicycle <laughs> <laughs> that, that's next year's ambition now uh, okay, all right. um, we got the late night soup uh, somebody said uh, Matt having to talk for 10 minutes in a blind panic says Simon which I quite like uh, the Alan Hutton interview was also this year one that yeah. I wasn't there to film but that was a really really good podcast that'll be my highlight I think yeah just been, been a bit slack haven't I you've all these prom- we start each year with the promise of all these people we're going to speak to and David Platt's mobile phone number still lays undisturbed because I'm too, too, still too scared to phone it in case he rejects me because he'll break my little... Now. Do it now. My little 10-year-old heart. Um, but the Hutton one, Ash, Ash Priest, bless him, managed to organise that one. And I, I think I was invited along for moral support as as is my way. Ended up bloody hardly letting Ash or Alan Hutton get a word in edgeways, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, it was brilliant. He was really, really open, really honest. Hutton, you know, got mm-hmm. to chat, got to sing his Scottish Cafu theme tune at him. Um, but he was, he spoke, spoke really well. So that's on the new New Year's resolutions list for um, for next year, Dan, as well as learning learning the unicycle at long last, trying to actually get some more of those former player interviews in the bag. Because you know, as much as we like having a good natter, I do think there's still some brilliant stories to be told straight from mm. the kind of horses made with some of our yeah. some of our former favourites. So yeah, you, you, 
not that my promise means anything because I said I'd learn to ride the unicycle by the end of the calendar year and I've now got 13 days which ain't going to happen but I promise that we are definitely going to try and get some um, more uh, more former favourites on for you next year yeah if, I, if I'm on the end of year review again this time next year you've blown it Kendrick <laughs> <laughs> uh, same goes for me probably as well yeah. <laughs> uh, another couple of comments the Martin O'Neill the Martin O'Neill interview was interesting I think that was last year uh, back in the last year November I think um, I know it was last year but when Dan and Matt were waffling about sandwiches then Gerald got sacked yeah that was also pretty good wasn't it we were just winging it thinking it might happen tonight let's just talk about anything uh, the one where Matt predicted we will beat City and Arsenal lottery numbers next please Matt and one I wanted to give a shout out to as well because I'm surprised we're an hour and 19 minutes by the way thank you everyone for watching along still that hasn't been mentioned yet as much as the hockey live show was a, a highlight for me for obvious reasons Simon says John Simon says John being so emotional after Leicester how can we yeah, not that mention brilliant. that yet that was excellent surprised it wasn't mentioned earlier but we've yeah. said uh, Rob to be fair kind of take my answer of that was the point I think where Emery has like banished a lot of um, different, you know, he's kind of got over lots of different hoodoos, beating Man United first and different things, mm. but winning in the way that we did, that was like, I was then convinced, okay, Aston Villa are pretty good for the, I mean, not the first time in my lifetime, but uh, moving forward, we've got something here. So, um, yeah, it was just a mad night that, but I didn't cry or anything. It was just a bit emotional and I think we all get emotional. So I don't want to be kind of labeled as, uh, you know, but um, yeah, what a night that was. Yeah, little John in tears. Yeah, you'd love to see it. You need to stop uh, that, Nick. Right, the final one for the show is uh, prediction for 2024. Now, I asked this on, I bolted on to the end of the, the other categories. Like I said, we do this every year. We, we do the end of season review, but we also do uh, one at the end of every calendar year, as near to the end of the year as we can. Um, so for us to, if we're still doing the podcast this time next year, which I assume we will be, if we're still going, and we're doing our end of 2024 season review, we will put this clip in to that episode to see whether our predictions were right. So this is your opportunity to make a prediction, however you want, about Aston Villa for 2024. Matt, I will start with you. This time next year, what do you want to predict about Aston Villa? I've... um... I thought my rhyming couplet was going to be about prize where it lies. It was going to be the most embarrassing thing um, that I said today. But I got your message and it said, what will be happening for Villa in one year's time? <laughs> I, don't, I can't believe I'm saying it. I'm going to go a bit weird here because my head automatically went. Do you know the um, Do you know the end scene from Wizard of Oz or towards the end where kind of Dorothy goes back to Kansas and stuff like that? So yeah. I got this vision that Unai Emery, right, stay with me and talk with me on this. Unai Emery is Dorothy. John's you've face. got um, you've got um, Alex Moreno as Toto. <laughs> Emery clicks his heels. It's no place like home. No, home, no place. I mean, the fact we've lost his connection. We lost my point is, yeah, we lost your connection, which is probably yeah. a good thing to be honest. I mean, into the broadcasting standards authority. We got to you know Emery clicks his heels and says, "There's no place like home." Assumably about the home form. <laughs> No, he's still gone. Well, we've saved everyone, I think, from a, from a terrible story. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Internet Connection. Um, Rob, do you want to make a prediction for Villa where they'll be in a year's time or anything about the club? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully it won't be as random as that. I've been a, I've been a Villa fan since 1987 um, was when I started going to games. So I'm so used to us just snatching disappointment from the jaws of glory um, that... What I 
logical me thinks we could be doing versus what I'm prepared to say out loud are two very different things. Um, so I think we'll either be back here saying, well, here we are back in 11th, but hey, you know, <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Um, and then, but realistically, I don't think that will happen. I'd, I'd like to think we'll continue to to grow. I think the stature of players that we will bring in will continue to increase, albeit they will fit the character profile that you know that, that's befitting of, of what Emery's creating for us. Um, I think if we are looking like we're going to make it, you know, assuming we qualify for the Champions League, if we're looking like we're going to make a dent in it, I'm fully expecting covid global warming whatever's going on in israel something's going to get in the way that's out of our control um but i'd hope not i can only really see us now with the cash that's around with the personnel that's within villa park off the pitch i struggle to see us not being in the reckoning at this end of the table for quite a while um mm. it's easy to perhaps think about well, how long could we have emery for but um, I still tend to think of Dean Smith as when he was at Villa being a young manager that was learning his trade. And I think Emery's two months younger than Dean Smith, um, which really puts it into perspective as to what potentially lies in front of us. Mm. Um, so, yeah, hopefully glory, but most likely 11th. So let's get this out of the way. Uh, Unai Emery's clicking his heels and talking about the home form. <laughs> yeah, he's ruined it, eh? People in the comments, that was their podcast moment of the year, the comedic time of your Wi-Fi, which is notoriously terrible to give out during that story. Do you want to finish it? When did you lose me? Well, he clicked his heels and said, there's no place like home, which I assume is about the home form. Yes, there's no place like... Yeah. I mean, this is this is not at all contrived. There's no place like home, which is a nod to... He's saying this is in a year's time in recognition of our 40 Villa Park wins on the trot. <laughs> um, then, what am I doing? What am I doing with this? Um, I've even made notes. Right. <laughs> Good news, mate. Stay with me. Stay with me. John looks like he's he's in a pub with his mates and his drunk dad's come over to start talking to them all. <laughs> uh, uh, bear with me. Bear with me. Right. Oh, I can't have lost it now. I've lost it. I've lost, I've lost, I've lost it. Come on. This could be the podcast moment of the year. <laughs> anyway. Right, okay, so we'll wait back up in Witten. Like, I wanted, what I wanted to do was a nod to the kind of dream sequence of it all being a dream. Right, so he'll wait back, back, back up in Witten, um, knowing that Villa have conquered, listen to this, the wicked rich of the Northwest. You get me? You're still with me? John McTinn, John McTinn, oh. man, has really found his heart. Our Lions, that were so cowardly under the previous manager, have continued to show courage. And those scarecrows from Arsenal fan TV are still looking for their brains. <laughs> so, <laughs> follow, 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 follow the Trinity Road. Okay, done. I'm out. I'll see you later. Happy Christmas, everybody. Wow. Well, that was remarkable. My Can I go now? From, uh, from, from smiling and laughing a lot. That was frankly ridiculous and probably the podcast moment of 2024. <laughs> there was that, other than that I'll oh. continue to keep speaking gibberish in the next year. So there you go. John McTeen. Unbelievable. Right. Okay. So we've had Rob's, which is going to be, we might be in 11th again. And it was all a, a big joke or we're still consistently competing around the top end. Uh, John, this is for the end of yep. next year's show. The clip we're going to insert in. What are you thinking? 
I think it's hard to kind of... Right, so I'll say that we'll have a European trophy in the bag in the Conference League and we'll be in the Champions League. I think those are my two predictions and that's definitely something we really can do this season. I think that's almost... If it's anything else, we've won the league. So <laughs> Champions League and Conference League, that's not the max we could do this season because we are on a title race until we're not, right? But um, those two things, I think we, we can definitely achieve. And I also think that's should be remarkable wouldn't it if we got the champions league winning a cup it doesn't get much better and yes the title was there but um as i say time will tell and i'm not really convinced we're we've got it in us to kind of last the distance on that anyway because once the knockouts start and we've got different rounds of that this amount of pressure that's going to uh, bring it's a different type of pressure playing in those games so yeah this time in a year i think we'll have a conference league in the bag We'll have Champions League football, hopefully. I know it's a different format. I was going to say something like we'll be, you know, in the round of 16 and we've just been drawn out like Arsenal were and Man City were earlier today. But I think it's going to be a whole different league system. I think you play eight games or something. So that's uh, kind of ruined my prediction from earlier. But yeah, we'll be a, we'll have another trophy in the cabinet and Champions League football as well. That's my prediction. Surprisingly, I thought I was going to be going big with my predictions. So I was going to say similar things about the Champions League. I didn't expect you guys to bring that kind of stuff up. Obviously, in the season in the season show, we did. I said about top four and was, was laughed at, um, as I will keep bringing up. And we're, we're on course to do that. I, I do believe that. I was going to say exactly the same thing as you, John. My big prediction was going to be that we'd have topped our Champions League group this time next year. Not only just being in it and, and getting through to the next round, we'd be top of our little group. But because the format is different, I can't I can't say that because I don't really know. I mean, it's like a league system. I don't know what if you have to finish in the top six of that league to go through and play. the. I honestly yeah, I don't know how it works at all. So let's just say we'll be top of the league thing in the, we'll in the play, Champions League we'll format. We'll yeah. at the Bonabau or... At the, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think there's much of the talking this year about a, a title race and it being like you said, I don't think we'll ask the distance and we're in it till we're not and we're just it's, we're kind of happy to be there. Maybe this time next year we'll be talking about a title race and a genuine thing of we could actually go on and win this this time, maybe, because this no, year is so good. And if we finish third this year and this time next year we're around the top of the table again, maybe we're not just going, oh, it's nice while it lasts, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have signed real quality over the summer and, and we can gin we go all, all the way this time next year. Who knows? Um, what were your predictions 12 months ago? Because obviously then it was still very early doors from an Emery perspective. I'm sure if you'd have predicted where we are and what we're doing, then, yeah, you'd have been wheeled off to Kansas with Matt. <laughs> I think we probably had said this time last year just to get back into the top half and be pushing for top yeah, seven in, yeah. for this season. Last season, it would have just been, let's just have as good a, good a year as we can. And if that's top half, that would be pretty good considering where we are. Nobody was talking about Europe or, or the Champions League 12 months ago. Yeah. Not many people were talking about it six months ago. Um, so, yeah, the fact that we're even having the conversations we are, it's nice while, it, while it's happening. Um, but maybe this time next year, it will be a more serious conversation that, oh, I can't believe we dropped points in this game because now our title charge is already over because you can't afford to lose any games. Um yeah, being being in the next stage of the Champions League, if that's how it works this time next year, would be would be my prediction. But I fear that this group stage thing and the changes they're making means that we, we it won't drags on this time. Yeah, it drags on. No, yeah. it drags on till about the second week of January, I think. So eight games, more more matches, and yeah, I mean we want to be a part of it, don't we? Of course, so I'm not going to complain yeah. about it. This is um, it's a very brummy way of looking at it. But by the end of this season, given where we are now, in we're still in the FA Cup for a start for now. Um, <laughs> You know, we we through to the next stage of the Conference League. 
we could go top of the league by Christmas, which you know I think I still am in Kansas, like you say, thinking thinking like that. But what's the minimum requirement now? What would I know? It's a negative way of looking at it, but what's what's the worst case scenario for Aston Villa? I mean, in, well, for this not, not the worst case scenario. What would you be prepared to accept now for the end of this season, you you chaps? I've said oh, we spoke about this after Brentford. I think if we didn't qualify for the Champions League now, I'd be disappointed, given where we are now and the, the gap we've already got. I think if you finish sixth now, yes, well, Europa League next year is better than this year because we've done the Conference League. To not qualify for the Champions League, given where we are at Christmas, potentially, is seems unthinkable. So I, I said my prediction, and I'm probably should I use this for this segment. I don't think Villa will drop out of the top five in the Premier League from now till the end of the season. I don't think we'll drop down to eighth and have to claw our way back. I think we'll just constantly win enough games to always be in the top five. I'm just I, yeah, hopeful. Go on, I was going to say, I'm just hopeful that um, fifth is still a Champions League place if we end up in fifth and we don't mm-hmm. end up just sneaking out into fifth. Because is, is it is it nailed on that it definitely is this season? Or not it's yet. Not, is it, it's partly dependent on... Yeah, well, if we won the Conference League, we'd go a long yeah. way of helping ourselves, basically. If we won yeah, the Conference exactly. League, maybe Liverpool went Which far I'm, in the Europa League. It yeah. feels a bit pessimistic to be worrying about fifth, but realistically, <laughs> you have got to say Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool... You know the the three of them are likely to be the the top three. I saw mm. one of the comments just now that you know we're 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 potentially king makers this season rather than actually winning the title ourselves. Um, so yeah, I'd hate that if we didn't quite squeeze into the Champions League places. I think that would be a massive disappointment. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the point. Fifth place, I think will be for the Premier League because we should go far in the conference. Liverpool, Brighton, West Ham between them, they should go far in the Europa League. City and Arsenal should be going far as well in the Champions League. I think they'll be fine. But um I think once the Conference League knockouts start, if we're in the Champions League places then and we've got a bit of a buffer, then I'm I'd be I can't lie, I'd be disappointed then if we don't get Champions League from then on because yeah. there's going to be such a build up. There, there is now. I'm already thinking what a massive difference that would make for the club yeah. over the next few years if we can get Champions League and then if it's taken away from us towards the last stages of the campaign, um, especially if it's because of the Conference League or something, that would be disappointing. But yeah, I, I can't kind of. How far we've come right now to, to be talking about disappointing not to get in the Champions League and we're only in December, but that's how cool. strongly I feel about it. I do think it's still a bit early to be talking about. I think we're on such a massive, you know, and it's no fluke, by the way. We deserve everything we've got, but the seasons we're not even halfway. We are nearly halfway, but let's just see where we are in a couple of more months. I've probably said that a lot this season already, but once the Conference League knockouts start, then it's going to really ramp up and that will test the squad even more. So, um, yeah, but I'm I'm all for Champions League now. I, I know previously I said Europa League and that would be, you know, a strong season because that would be an improvement considering where we are now and how well we are and how well we've been going, um, how good we are, then I think Champions League has to be the target now. Hmm. Okay. I just think I, I want us to just, it sounds an obvious thing, I want us to stay in the title race till the last couple of weeks in the season. And by virtue of doing that, you have the thrill of this season. Yeah. You have potentially, if you're staying in the, champ, in the title race that long, you're pretty much guaranteed touchwood Champions League football anyway. And, you know, then you've got the safety net of going and winning a trophy in Athens as well, haven't you, at the end of the month? So, uh, Christ, it's remarkable, isn't it? What a, what a roller coaster. That, I think that's a really good point Matt makes there because a couple, few weeks ago we were talking about oh, if we get above Spurs, we're in the top four and that's fantastic. And we were like a point inside. And now we're kind of punching, can we get top? And all of a sudden we've got nine points on yeah. sixth place, which is massive. So, if we are 
doing that all of a sudden in a couple of weeks time you're thinking well actually look at the gap that we've made up so yeah. yeah you're kind of aiming for one big thing but then if it doesn't happen which is to win the title you know we've got champions league so yeah it's just it's mad that we've talked for an hour and a half even speaking about where we are at the moment it is really surreal yeah it's yeah. uh it's mad I'll, I'll stand by what i said i don't think we'll drop out of it at any point because of that buffer we've already got villa will even if you lost a couple of games you win the third and then you go on another little run and you you're constantly always up and around it i don't see us going on some mad losing streak and also the teams behind you have to win that every time you lose as well to even make up that nine point gap so i think villa will be up and around the top five all season and whether it's enough to be in the, the, the race for top two, top three or whatever, I think it will be enough to get fourth and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, Villa will finish fourth. I'm going to call it a day there though because I've got um, other responsibilities that I'm being called to go off and do. I didn't think this would take an hour and a half but it's been a thoroughly enjoyable chat with you all. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Likewise, Ooh, John and Matt. Yeah. Besides that wizard of our scene, that was weird, but uh, I think people, I think people yeah. quite liked it. Um, I love the fact that the internet gods tried, tried to cut me off in full flow. <laughs> No, that was me. He was just like oh, hitting the kill switch. So we can't have this on the on the episode. Uh, no, really, really, really good. Thank you very much. I think our next episode will probably be the post match show for Sheffield United at the end of the week. So people, plenty of time for people to go back and catch uh, catch up on this one in, in, in its entirety. Because I appreciate it takes a lot of people's time to sit through and listen to uh, something like this. But it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, gents. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the five hundred people watching along live for an hour and a half on a Monday afternoon. That's uh, right. really great to see. Uh, Thanks to those. <clears throat> Thanks to everyone who will catch up on this in the coming days. Uh, get involved with Spotify, iTunes reviews, all those kind of things. YouTube comments. I will leave a template to fill in the categories we've filled in um, for people in the comments to share their verdicts as well. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with the Sheffield United post-match show. Um, and we've got a Christmas special coming up as well, which will likely be on Christmas Eve. Uh, we're recording this week. That should be a good one as well. Uh, gents, thanks for joining me. Thank you all for watching, and we'll see you very soon. <laughs>